Hi, Peter Bulker here and welcome to today's edition of The Transition Guide. Now joining me in the studio today is Mitch Russo, founder and former CEO of Payslips Corp. Welcome, Mitch. Thank you, Peter. Great to be here. Great to have you. Tell us, I mean, you've, had, you, you've been one of those entrepreneurs that's actually taken a business and started, in your, started it in your garage. Yep. And you actually grew it to an eight-figure business. It's what true. was that like? Well, um, it was really, really hard. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, I was, I was in my mid-20s. Uh, I was 27, really, when I started the business. And um, I never had anything like that before. And so I uh, didn't really quite understand um, what exactly it was I was supposed to do. But I, I held to a very few key values. One of them was create a great product. That was one of my key values. I figured if you created a great product, then maybe you wouldn't sell it as as fast as you know somebody else might, but at least it would people would like it and word of mouth would spread. So the second thing that I figured out was that, and this is going to sound groundbreaking in today's world, uh, don't spend more than you have. Uh, and so we probably could have moved or grown faster <clears throat> if I was willing to, you know, take investment VC money or something like that, and, and we didn't. We basically funded our entire operation for all nine years that I ran it um, through our checkbook. We even made acquisitions through our checkbook because our goal was never to be in debt to anybody or anyone or any organization because we never wanted anyone else to have influence or control over us. Did you think that restricted your growth at the time? Uh, I, I think it could have. Uh, you know, I think we did it. The other thing is, is it would have made me less hungry and less aggressive. Uh, right. if, I, if I would have had, you know, five or seven million dollars in the bank from investors, I would have said, you know what, just spend more. I will eventually get there. But but I mean, I was measuring the results on every thirty dollar advertisement we ran and I was calculating them on a spreadsheet just about every day. I don't think I would have done that if, uh, if $30 were not such an important amount of money to me back then. I suppose that's the interesting thing is that you actually got into the detail, which you kind of would, you would kind of assume you would do considering that you actually ended up selling your business to Sage, the accounting, the software accounting company. Yep. Well, you know, Sage still sells our product. It's not, obviously it's been updated many times. Uh, they, they acquired our programming team, uh, and some of those folks are still in place as well. But the interesting thing is that the original idea for the product and the value we created is, is still a, a valid business model, and people still use our software uh, now every single day. Thousands, tens of thousands of people do. Uh, Sage has integrated it into the rest of their product line as well. So now when you use time slips, it feeds into your general ledger directly, which again was one of the things that we had to um, sort of do piecemeal. We had, uh, we had a product, a separate product we used to sell called time slips accounting link. 
Tal, as we used to call it. And Tal's entire job was to be a series of interfaces for different accounting software. Uh, and so that's how we did what Sage basically did with all of their products. Right. So you were ahead of the curve at that point. Yes. You was well ahead of the curve. And throughout your time in business, you've obviously gone through countless recessions. Yes. <laughs> you try to call me old, Peter. You call me an old guy. <laughs> I'm calling you an experienced guy. There you go. Good answer. Yeah, I've been through several. Uh, and, um, you know, some of them uh, I didn't. I didn't notice uh, in a way uh, because it really wasn't my focus. I mean, mm -hmm. I was uh, at the, I remember the first true recession I went through, um, you know, I was, I was a salesman. I was earning commissions. I didn't, you know, care that much really about a recession. I just kept selling my products and earning commissions. That was my narrow view of the world. And it's almost really in a simplistic way, what most people should do anyway, it, you know, don't bought look, a recession is, is a news story. Um, I'm not saying it's not real, but what I'm saying is recessions happen when people believe that they will and are happening. Recessions stop happening when everybody agrees that the recession is over. So if you simply decide in advance that, well, that's fine what they say. I don't, I'm not in a recession. Uh, I'm in an expansion. That makes a big difference in both the results you get and how you feel every day when you wake up. And I think that's an interesting point of view because a lot of people probably listening in are struggling at the moment. Yes. They're, they're experiencing huge adversity and they're probably saying, well, how do you thrive in such adversity? What would your tips be? Well, <clears throat> once again, I mean, knowing who you serve with a quality product now is more important or as important as ever before. Uh, serving the right people with the right products is really what business is about. Um, and once you figure that out, you can, you can lose, uh, you could cut your marketing budget because now you know exactly in a targeted way who it is you're trying to reach. So when we first built time slips, we advertised in PC Magazine, which was a general PC user magazine, and we got almost zero sales. But when we made an effort to figure out who those people were who expressed interest, we discovered most of them were lawyers, several accountants, but mostly lawyers. So we then completely retooled all of our thinking about even you know what kind of a product we have. Uh, I would think, oh, everybody can use this. Well, you can't sell to everybody. That's way too expensive to reach everybody. But when you find out that it's perfectly suited for lawyers uh, and you could run an ad in a legal law journal for $30 and get five or six copies sold on that $30 ad, well, now that becomes a business proposition, something that you can scale. And we did little by little. We scaled it. We kept advertising. We grew our ad budget. We grew our our sales department, and we sold a lot more software. Do you think we're in that, we're, when you did Time Slip, when you started Time Slip, when you were quite ahead of the eight ball at the time, you were sort of leading the pack. Do you think we're at a point now where probably the pandemic itself, localized lockdowns across the globe, 
has drastically changed the way that people shop for number one and number two, what they shop for. Do you think this is a good exercise that all companies should be going through right now where they actually relook at where the value they offer customers truly lies? Because surely for a lot of companies, that's absolutely shifted. Yes. Well, I mean, let's look at what, you know, what, what do we know in, in a generalized sense? Uh, we know that people are, you know, starting to, but still are not back in restaurants. We know that people are starting to fly again, but they're not really back as, I mean, traffic is up, but it's not where it was. So all those dollars that were being spent before now have been reallocated. Uh, and in my understanding of it, many of that are actually in people's bank accounts. Uh, some of it is in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies as well, uh, which is great. I, I mean, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies uh, tend to be um, the people's money, if you will. Uh, of course, yesterday we had a big speech from Biden about how he's going to try and take away as much of that as he can um, be, to pay for programs that most people here don't really want uh, or need. I mean, we have we have a a workforce in the United States, people are going back to work. We don't, you know, yes, there are going to be always people who are suffering and we need to take care of those people. But, you know, most people are taking whatever stupid money they get from the government and they're putting it into Bitcoin or they're putting it into crypto or they're putting it into, you know, Reddit based stocks, you know? So it's, uh, in, in my opinion, again, I'm not the president, nor will I ever want to be. Uh, it's really not, it's not in response to what the people need. I think it's more government-based, power-based. Uh, uh, but again, I don't care about those things. I care about me and my family. I care about my friends, my community, my loved ones, my clients. And I want to see them thrive no matter what. You know, one of the things, uh, well, someone said to me, doesn't it suck that they're going to raise the taxes? And I said, yeah, it sucks, but so what? We'll make more money. I mean, that's, what else are you going to do? Say, oh, I'm going to I'm going to lower my standard of living because they're raising taxes. Oh, no, forget that. I have to. But, that's in, but Mitch, that's interesting. Because a lot of people actually probably would take umbrage to the fact that taxes are going up and say, well, I'm not going to pay more taxes and cut their nose off despite their face. Now, what you said about cryptocurrency is quite interesting because that's probably showing a whole new marketplace that's starting to grow and actually a whole new industry started to grow out of it and that's just a great example of actually how money does shift yes and the people that are adding <clears throat> value in the crypto world are actually the ones that are making great money off the back of it yes. so much so you've even got companies it's one of the credit card companies i do believe beside the mastercard or visa but they've actually now shifted over and they're now doing cryptocurrency, as in they're supporting some of the major cryptocurrencies. So I suppose it's going to be progress. And it's quite interesting that you still got people standing in the way of progress. Yeah. You know, once again, uh, we have there's a lot of uh, shifting sands and power struggles around crypto. Uh, you know, the U.S. government wants to have their monopoly on currency and you know, and crypto is not a currency. It's called a cryptocurrency, but it's just as gold is not a currency um, because currencies can only be controlled by the issuing government. Uh, and if you try to treat crypto like currency, uh, you know, the tax man cometh. You'll, you'll soon be 
followed down the street by a hungry IRS agent happy to find out what it is that you spent your crypto on so that they can get their share. So it's a very clear distinction. It's, it's not currency. And if you think of it that way, you're going to be in trouble, basically. And if you want to live a happy life and stay clear of the taxing authorities in whatever country you're in, then you comply. <clears throat> Complying, uh, you know, look, after all, let's, let's get down to the, to the base uh, scenario. Base scenario is they're going to come with guns and take you away. You know, you could refuse and refuse and refuse and refuse. You can not show up. You can whatever they force you to try to do. If you keep refusing, they're coming with guns to take you away. So who needs that? Pay the taxes, make more. You know, it's a much better way to, for me anyway, much better way to view the world. So how do you, okay, so what advice do you give to entrepreneurs out there that right now are not seeing the opportunities that are clearly in front of them because other companies are out there and there are companies making great money today in the same storm that everybody else is in? Yeah, I, I think it's part of understanding basic business strategy. I mean, there are you know, so many, Peter, I'm sure you know this, there's so many business coaches around in this world, uh, you know, find someone to talk to, uh, find someone who can give you a viewpoint that you don't have. And the, you know, the, the next step, of course, is hire that person, let them hold you accountable and make progress. You know, mo- coaching is expensive, uh, but not having coaching is more expensive. Uh, because you lose out on your future. And I'm not saying you can't do it without coaching. Heck, I started time slips without coaching, but I had my trusted advisors back then too. So, which back yeah. in the day, they were your eyes and ears independent of the business. They operated in your blind spot. Yes. Yes, exactly. And you know what it's like. We can create, we can create our own reality and then find evidence to back up what we wanted to back up. I think the nice thing about having somebody outside of your reality is they'll tell you it as it is. And I myself, I've got advisors that advise me just so that I make sure that I don't convince myself of my own BS from time to time. So true. So true. And you really need that. And I applaud you for taking action simply because a lot of people don't, you know, I, I too have a coach. I have two coaches actually. And uh, I find them to be just so powerful in my life. Uh, And I love working with them and I love the progress I make with their help and assistance. So I'm with you. And it is really just helping people find, find that different viewpoint and actually see it from that different perspective. Here's that different perspective because one person looking at the recession thinking is, the world's coming to an end is somebody else's opportunity. Whereas oh. it could be both people's opportunity. Exactly. And once again, you know, um, if you're focused on thriving, if you're focused on being successful, if you're focused on delivering a quality product and honing it in slowly over time to make it more and more valuable, and you have the right business model and you're willing to do the work. Remember you asked me in the beginning, of what was my experience starting time slips? The first thing I said is it was really hard work. <laughs> and it is, you know, it was, it was seven straight months without a day off working 17, 18 hour days, but I did it happily. I did it with enthusiasm. I never thought of it as work or toil. I thought of it as, as being in my zone is, is flowing into my power. That's, that's what I thought. 
And you know what's interesting, Mitch, is that recessions come and go. This one too will pass. Yeah. And another one will come though. Yes. In the next 10 to 15 years, it'll be all over again. And it's how you deal with that recession, I suppose. It's how you how you behave in adversity will determine what impact a recession or what impact you will allow a recession to have on you. And it's true that some people are saying, my business model has been totally changed. I mean, especially if you're a restaurateur, if you're a bricks and mortar business, Mm -hmm. especially in the UK where it's been totally locked down, there is a degree where people can say and feel aggrieved. And I get it. But the ones that did succeed were the ones that absolutely went digital. And they had, I mean, like if you were a retailer, shut down, the ones that did succeed were the ones that went e-commerce. And I suppose that's the thinking. You've got to think outside that box and you've got to be prepared to change. Well, you know, again, we we have all the, we, we like to use the example of pets.com, you know, of businesses that failed. <clears throat> and again, if you go back to the fundamentals, they still hold true today. You know, why did they fail? Well, I'll, I'll go back to the lessons I talked about with time slips. Uh, they spent too much money. They could not keep up with their own spending. Um, wasn't that people didn't want dog food or, or dog accessories or cat accessories. People love their dogs. They'll spend a fortune on them. The problem was, is that it was a poorly designed and run business. And it was poorly designed and run because it was run by teenagers who were flooded with money by greedy investors who only saw the possibility of hoisting another public offering on, you know, on the population. Which is a good example that unicorns are few and far between. Most businesses are, are grown over a period of time. They just don't fly. That's right. Brilliant. Have you got any parting comments for the audience? Well, again, I, I, w- I want to go back to the fundamentals here. You know, a lot of times <clears throat> people say, well, I tried and I failed. And in my opinion, the reason people fail is because they did not take what they learned and pivoted into something different. So I never think of failure unless I quit. So, you know, um, if I, if I start up an enterprise and I, and I spend a lot of money to promote it or build it, and then nothing happens. Uh, and then I say, oh, well, I failed and shut it down. Then I truly did fail. But if I'd learned from that and pivot into something new, like I just did basically with my software platform, uh, then it's not really a failure at all. It's part, of the, it's part of the journey of learning what you need. And I think that's what everyone needs to remember that actually what everyone's going through right now, they're on a journey and got to learn to navigate that journey. Yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on today's episode, Mitch. Thank you for, thank you for joining us. And if anything has resonated with you today and you want to look at things in a bit more detail, head over to Balka.com and get in touch. And remember, failing to learn is learning to fail. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Once again, Mitch, thank you very much.